going to answer these questions. The one I picked up, uh, there's no any particular order randomly there here, so I pick whatever is on the top. Uh, could you please explain the difference between consciousness and mind? Okay. Mind is uh, overall uh, uh, state. Consciousness is the active part. For instance, when uh, an object and senses come together, consciousness arises. Consciousness is uh, not always active. We become conscious or consciousness arises. When two arises, two are there, consciousness arises. When three arises or three are there, contact arises. So the mind is there and memories, ideas, other thoughts arise, consciousness arises. Even the, in the mind, there is a mano vinyana. Mananche dhammeche upadhyana mano vinyana. Mind, mind objects, and consciousness. So consciousness is the moment that mind becomes active. Mind is uh, functioning in a very dormant, inactive way until object arises. It is extremely difficult to make the distinction because it happens so quickly that uh, <coughs> the Buddha said even, uh, he, he even, Buddha is the, the most uh, enlightened being uh, who would uh, know the mind hundred times better than whoever is today, <laughs> whatever terms you use, uh, better than anybody else. And even that Buddha could not find an example to show the speed of mind. So quickly it occurs, it changes. And yet, it is dormant. When objects arises, consciousness arises. So this is the difference between consciousness and the mind. Uh, I don't want to spend too long time in answering one question. <coughs> Roughly this is what I can say. Next question. You spoke of growth versus aging in what 
does seem to be uh, from a, a physical perspective. Can you elaborate on if this can be viewed from a knowledge or other area, uh, other area perspective too? Uh, <coughs> growth and aging uh, more visible in physics or physical part. Uh, we are made up of mentality, materiality, and consciousness. This is triangle. Mentality, materiality, consciousness. In this triangle, everything mental, also aging and growing. Material, aging and growing. Consciousness, aging and growing. Therefore, uh, none of them can be precluded from aging and growing. But most conspicuous is the physical part. That is why we very often talk about physical aging and growing. Uh, mental part like feeling. Mental part has five aspects. Contact, feeling, perception, thought, and attention. Pasavedana, Sanya, Chetana, Manasikara. These are the five factors belonging to mentality. Take, for instance, uh, contact. Also, uh, continuously changing, going through these three, uh, three stages. Rising moment, peak moment, and passing away moment. But it happens so quickly that we cannot notice it. So, therefore, uh, when we think about uh, uh, growth and aging, uh, we must include all these things that grow, age, and pass away. Grow, age, and pass away. Rising, growing, aging, and passing away. <coughs> uh, I refrain from using Pali term. There are 11 ways of looking at them. Atita, Nagata, Pachupanna, Ajatanga, Bahidava, Olarika, Sukumava, Hinava, Panitava, Yandureva, Santikova, Sabbang, Sabba Vedana. Vedana is one of the five mental factors. They are uh, Anichyang, Dukhang, Vipranam Dhammang, Kaya Dhammang, Vaya Dhammang, Virag Dhammang, Nirod Dhammang, Patichasavupannang. In this 11 ways, we must look at them growing and 
disappearing. Unfortunately, you must come to my one of my classes so I can explain all this. In this uh, short uh, retreat, I cannot explain all these things in detail. Anyway, they all go through, in short, pricing moment, peak moment, and passing away moment. Peak moment does not mean static moment. When it comes to the peak, also is altering, that's called Viparinama Dhamma. Uh, and so forth. All these are dhammas. This dhamma applies to everything. If the dhamma is always fresh, is the dhamma not impermanent? Dhamma, uh, the mental object as dhamma, Many of them are impermanent except Nibbana. Anything beyond, before Nibbana, whatever Dhamma is impermanent except Nibbana. Uh, why Nibbana is not impermanent? <coughs> because what is Impermanent is a thing. A thing is impermanent. Nibbana is not a thing. Nibbana is not a thing. Therefore, that is the only permanent, we must say, bliss or peace which does not change. Uh, is there a specific reason why you did not mention the Noble Eightfold Path that you mentioned in the Satipatthana Sutta Summary? I think I said uh, too many things too quickly in, in such a short time. Uh, I said the, the way to end suffering, I simply said the way to end suffering. That way is the Noble Eightfold Path. Although I did not uh, spell out the Noble Eightfold Path by name, but uh, when I said the way, I meant the Noble Eightfold Path. No reason to uh, no reason not to mention the Noble Eightfold Path when we talk about the Four Noble Truths. <coughs> in fact, uh, <coughs> in some places, <laughs> I want to excuse myself by quoting the Buddha. Even the Buddha said, because I teach only suffering and ending of suffering. He eliminated the Noble Eightfold Path. <laughs> In that statement, Dukkhancha Panya Pemi Dukkhani I tell the suffering and end of suffering. Wise individuals understand the middle. 
when suffering is there, there must be a cause for suffering. When there is an end, there must be a way to end. So, so leaving, that is what the Buddha said, Panyavantasa and Dhammuna and Dhammudupanyasa, this Dhamma is for the wise, <laughs> not for the unwise. So wisely we must uh, uh, look at the Dhamma, then we can put piece all this together. When we meditate, we use the uh, fetters. Uh, we see the fetters manifest their origin and uh, their disappearance. How can we know whether the uh, disappearance is uh, permanent or only temporary? <coughs> yes. That is a very good question, too. Uh, at least during that particular period of meditation, you know when a particular fetter disappears from your mind, during that period, If it doesn't come back, you know it is disappeared. It doesn't come back. In every session of your meditation, once a fetter arises, you deal with that and it disappears. And during that particular session, if it doesn't come back, you know the disappeared fetter does not come back. So when you do this in every meditation session, one day when you attain the first level of enlightenment, you know one, none of those three fetters that you destroyed when you attain the first level of enlightenment will not come back. When you attain the second level of enlightenment, two of the remaining seven become weak, become weak. That means their gross part is vanished from your mind. And then you know you are no longer ha having the very gross, mean part of those fetters. When you attain the third level of enlightenment, you know those weak, weakened two fetters will not arise in your mind at all. This is how from your own experience you ask this question, how do you know? Uh, you ask me how you have overcome them. I cannot tell you. 
you yourself must introspectively, impartially look at your mind honestly, sincerely. Because you meditate not to please me or please your friend or the government, income tax department, you meditate for yourself, yourself. And then you are the witness, testimony and the judge because you are doing it honestly. The honesty, this is the test of your honesty. Meditation success is the test of your honesty. And therefore, <coughs> one day somebody in certain country asked me, Bhante so-and-so venerable told me that I am uh, stream enter Sotapanna. Do you think I am Sotapanna? That person asked me. I said, no. Why do that person got upset? Why did you say, why did you say that? I said, you would never ask me this question if you are Sotapanna. The very fact that you ask me this question shows that you are not Sotapanna. Because Sotapanna person knows that he, he or she is Sotapanna. No second person, no matter how close, how intimate your friend is, that person does not know that you are Sotapanna, only you know. And therefore, all this uh, are personal, 100% personal experience. <clears throat> this is another good question. If food is not to be enjoyed, why make it so delicious? Also, why no singing, dancing, or music? Uh, don't blame me for making the food, <laughs> food delicious. Uh, you tell the cook. I think cook wants to make you happy. Uh, that may be the reason why he makes it delicious. We didn't ask him to make food delicious. That is, I'm not blaming him out of compassion, good heart. He does his uh, best to make you happy. Uh, but if we train ourselves, we eat food like medicine. Medicine to cure our old hunger and not to introduce new pain by overeating. When we, when the food is too delicious, it, 
it would tempt you to eat more. Then you decide whether you are tempted by the food and eat more or eat moderately and leave some room for you to meditate. That may be another test he, he gives you to see how mindful you are. So mindful person eats food to not to beautify the body, not to build up our muscles, not to show off, uh, but to overcome all hunger and to not to introduce new pain by overeating and also to maintain our holy or noble life, Brahmacharya Nugahaya, for us that applies to everybody. So that is one thing. <clears throat> Second thing is when we train ourselves to eat moderately, not only during the retreat but all the time, then we maintain our good health eating moderately. I don't have to tell you much about that, no, no discourse on eating. There are many books in the market about good way of eating. Thirdly, when we eat, we should not increase our greed. Like uh, Buddhas and Arahants, they too ate any kind of food offered to them. But they also tasted the food just like we taste, because their taste buds are very healthy and in good condition. So whoever has good taste buds, who is not sick, uh, that, that person can taste food of any type. But the difference between ordinary persons eating and the Buddhas and Arahants eating is they not only eat moderately, but also they don't have any attachment to clinging, craving for food. Na rasa patisangvedi tathagato, na rasa raga patisangvedi tathagato. They know the food, taste of food, but they don't have attachment to food. Now, nothing wrong with the food, something wrong with our mind, our desire. Nothing wrong with our body, but the way we use the body is abusive. Nothing wrong with the money, but the way we use the money is abusive. So the way we use those things make the difference. <clears throat> you ask me about singing, dancing, and music. You know, 
when you listen to a very very beautiful music and come to meditation what is playing in your mind that music what does do what does it do increase your desire can you see impermanence <laughs> in the music your desire increases to hear music <clears throat> of course play uh, people do play music and uh, even in the time there were people who played music there was a uh, man called sona he was a musician uh, he became a monk <coughs> and uh, uh, buddha asked uh, another i think is him or another person he used the the what you call this violin we want to do teach the person how to practice things moderately eat and behave and so forth moderately he asks when you tighten the thread of the violin does it make uh, the kind of good music or if you loosen the tie- the thread <coughs> can you make good music no you have to make it sort of medium in between tightness and looseness to make good music so buddha used the simile of music to illustrate the way how we practice things moderately not going to any extremes but he did not encourage especially Uh, monks nuns and so forth to get involved in music even teaching dhamma there are uh, gaya in nine limbs of dhamma one is called gaya gaya means what you call reciting or uh, 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 singing singing dhamma should not be used as a singing it has a chanting style we can chant to arouse our faith to make the mind calm and relaxed and peaceful so the music involved in the musical instrument and uh, special training and so forth that sometimes make our practice difficult same as dancing and singing uh, all this can uh, not make us peaceful however <clears throat> in order to gain concentration sometimes some uh chanting uh 
helps. Uh, that is one of the five ways of liberating the mind. It is called pancha vimuttayatana. Five ways of liberating the mind. One of them is chanting. Chanting in a very melodical way. What is the best approach to fill my uh, upekka basket in lay life? To fill the upekka uh, basket, you have to practice uh, uh, mindful reflection uh, without going into any extremes. <clears throat> because upekka has two sides. Gehasitu upekka and nekhamasitu upekka. Gehasitu upekka and nekhamasitu upekka. Gehasitu upekka, upekka means equanimity. Sometimes people call it neutrality. Uh, there is a kind of equanimity that uh, also very uh, sort of neutral state of mind. Uh, it is not very, uh, uh, it's not very positive in ordinary upekka, that is gehasit upekka. Gehasit upekka means upekka. Remember upekka means equanimity or neutrality of mind. Uh, a person who generally has uh, not developed mindfulness, the person has uh, greed, hatred, delusion, and all these defilements. With all these defilements, the person either not getting certain things in the past, or perhaps men may, may will not get in the future, or the person now doesn't get certain things, then after all the striving, hard work, trying, the person does not get that particular thing, then person gives up having, uh, remember this uh, sour grape, Sour grape uh, attitude. Ah, who cares? I don't need that. That kind of attitude. That is one kind of upekka. That's called gehasit upekka. Gehasit means upekka that arises in the mind full of defilements. Nekkamasit upekka is <coughs> upekka that arises in the mind that has uh, let go of things deliberately by seeing impermanence. <clears throat> All the things in the past were impermanent. All the things now are impermanent. All the things in the future are impermanent. Seeing impermanent as uh, common 
denominator of all existing things, upekka arises in the mind. That is called nekkamasit upekka. Now, <clears throat> to fill your upekka basket, you must decide which upekka you want to cultivate. Gehasit upekka or nekkamasit upekka. First, you have to make the distinction between one of this, these two and decide which one you want to cultivate. So that depends on the way you want to cultivate Upekka. When you ask this question, it is general, but in order to fill your Upekka basket, you must know what kind of Upekka you want to put in that basket and what is that Upekka basket. Gehasi Upekka basket or Nekkamasi Upekka basket. Okay? And then do what is necessary to put that kind of upekka in that particular basket. <coughs> okay. Here is an essay written in question form. Short essay. <laughs> Buddhism recognizes a desire and a grasping to as a, as, as a source of discontentedness and suffering. Do you think this desire and uh, creating, uh, which is linked to the human experience and uh, sufferings is also an evolutionary tool bestowed to us like any tool it has uses and misuses or by it uh, difficult uh, when used uh, skillfully, it all uh, it uh, allows us to collectively evolve. We better understand our world unless one another and this ourselves. It would seem in our better nature, we are using this tool to uh, strive for unity in all the ages, all the, oh, I'm sorry, in all things, all things. Uh, we seem to strive to be like our most idealistic conceptions of God. When we feel, uh, when we feel uh, stagnant at uh, unskilled, unskilled, uh, 
or uh, foolishly we suffer. <coughs> okay, <coughs> desire, you are talking about desire. Uh, we want to talk uh, of, uh, of, we want to talk about desire, which is not uh, confined to any particular religion, particular ethnic or community, particular area, particular district or country. We want to use the desire as a universal factor, universal factor. Desire by nature is insatiable, insatiable, cannot be satisfied. That is the nature of desire. Whatever desire it is, is insatiable. No matter from what angle we look at it, that is the nature of desire. But desire has two aspects. One desire is wholesome desire, other is unwholesome desire. What is unwholesome desire? Desire to perpetuate desire is unwholesome. Desire to increase desire, perpetuate desire, that brings suffering, that is unwholesome desire. What is the wholesome desire? Desire to be desireless is a wholesome desire. You think about this. Desire to be desireless is a wholesome desire. So desire to be desireless we have to cultivate. How to cultivate desire to be desireless? By letting go. Letting go. If we learn to let go, we can make the life more peaceful and happy, not only for us, but for the whole universe. When we don't let go, we increase our greed and grab things. And I, do, I have this much land, I want to increase it and grab this person's land, that person's land, and then click, 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 make a corporation and grab more and so forth, and then keep fighting, invading countries, and so forth and so on, keep expanding, 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 never ending, and we in, in, increase suffering as much as we increase our desire all over the world, personally, collectively, all over the world, in the past, present and future. No time we... <laughs> that desire, to perpetuate desire, can ever bring us peace and happiness. Never. You try that. But the other desire, 
allow others to use what they have, what they deserve, get what they want. I use my own portion and I am content and happy. And eventually I realized even this much is bringing suffering. <coughs> so you see, therefore, uh, universally wholesome desire is more uh, wholesome desire is better than unwholesome desire. We need desire to increase wholesome desire. That is called chanda. That is one of the uh, four uh, bases of uh, success called iddipada, chanda, iddipada. Chanda is another name for desire. It also has two sides, wholesome chanda and unwholesome chanda and so forth. So, that is the kind of desire we like to promote, desire to let go. <coughs> I can talk more about that, but I want to restrain myself. But I want to say one thing more. Ko atto udapanena apache sabbadasyo Tanhaya mūlato chetva kissa pariyesanam chare, Buddha said. Ko atto udapanena, what is the use of a well if water is available always? If water is always available, what is the use of a well? Do we have any use of a well? No. Similarly, tanhaya mūlato chetva kissa pariyasanancare when craving desire is completely cut off. Why do you want to search? What is the use of searching? We search because what we have is not enough. We keep searching and searching and searching and searching. So the desire, unwholesome desire, is insatiable. Nakahapanavasena titti kama esu vijati apasada dukha kama iti vinyaya pandu api dibbesu kama esu nothing so rajgachati. Buddha said, Nakahapanavasena, this is a very beautiful simile. I elaborate it. Suppose you have a house, big house, and uh, one fine day you wake up and the entire house is full of gold because the night there was a rain of gold. There was a little leak in the, on the roof. Through that leak, gold fell into a room, into a house. And entire house is full of gold. That gold you cannot use in your life 
Not even thousands of people living in the village cannot use that gold in their lives. So much gold. But when you wake up in the morning and seeing all this gold, you say, I wish I had a bigger house. <laughs> do you say I have? <laughs> do you say I wish I had a small house? No. I wish I had a bigger house. <laughs> that is the nature. Nakahapana was saying, Tittikamesa Vijjati. That is the nature of desire. And therefore, it is insatiable. How can someone overcome the strong craving for uh, unskillful things like alcohol, drugs, and junk food? I think, <clears throat> how can someone overcome strong craving for unuseful, unskillful things like alcohol, drugs, and junk food? One must ask what we want. Say again, desire. Do we want to cultivate short-term desire or long-term desire? This unwholesome desire. Short-term desire is to get <clears throat> temporary using drugs, temporary, uh, what calls stoned, temporarily you become dumb, temporarily dumb. Or drug, alcohol, drug and junk food. It gives you some kind of temporary pleasure, so to say, temporary pleasure. When you have this temporary pleasure, you know you shorten your life. If you have a long-term desire by letting go of this and having uh, regular uh, food and so forth, you live longer. That is one side. Second side is <coughs> uh, do you want to live unhealthy life or healthy life? Unhealthy person with unhealthy life cannot even meditate because mind is already messed up. Mind has to be healthy, body has to be healthy in order to make meditation successful, to make our life peaceful and happy. If we don't uh, have healthy life, we cannot do that. So one must ask, what do I want? 
want to live a sick life or a healthy life. Then <coughs> uh, he has to uh, make a determination, effort. There is a fourfold effort effort to prevent the desire for this sort of things, prevent that desire for this, or to overcome this desire for this sort of junky thing. Third effort is to arouse wholesome mental state to abstain from these things and then fourth effort is to cultivate that wholesome thought that arose in your mind through constant training your mind through the practice of mindfulness. Now <clears throat> let me see, there are two more questions. I want to finish this if it's in next seven minutes. How do you find peace and continue, uh, uh, continue practice when you live with a person who is always angry and more mean? Okay. When somebody is always angry and mean, uh, you can practice my meditation Especially you can practice metta meditation, mindfulness meditation, when you live with somebody who is angry and mean. It is like this. When somebody is always angry and mean, that person is not healthy. Not that person healthy. Healthy person does not get angry all the time. Healthy person is not mean all the time. Something is wrong in the mind, in this person. Uh, and therefore, you try to help the person by being more mindful, more compassionate, more patience, trying to understand if you also get angry when that person is angry, if you become mean when that person is mean, you are not uh, uh, doing anything different from that person. So what we should do when we live with an angry person, we must think I should not have anger like this. Because when this angry person, when he is angry, how bad I feel. Similarly, if I get angry, along with this person, two angry persons can always fight and never have a peaceful life. Therefore, you have to practice patience and have compassion for this angry person and wishing him to be 
cure to get rid of his anger. Buddha said, angry person is like a sick person. It's a sick. Uh, what are the sick person <coughs> cannot taste food because taste but also are not healthy. So any food is bland for that person. So angry person is like a sick person. He is burning in fire. Anger is a fire. Those are gi, Buddha said, devs are those are gi. And uh, anger is a poison that poison your mind and that can person poison the mind of others as well. Therefore, anger is called dosa uh, visa. Anger also is called a weapon. Dosa satta, dosa satta, weapon. Anger is poison, anger is fire, anger is weapon. You don't want to cultivate that. You think of yourself, I must not cultivate this, I must rather cultivate patience, compassion, mindfulness and loving friendliness. These are things one must cultivate in order to... So you use that person's anger and meanness as a source of your cultivating compassion, loving friendliness, mindfulness. And the last question, what is the significance of the skeleton outside the meditation hall? <laughs> that skeleton is there to remind us what we carry in us. We will be like that if we are not buried or cremated and live somewhere in a safe place so the birds and animals will come and eat the flesh and then the insects will clean it clean up the rest and they leave us like that <coughs> and there's a meditation in this book there is uh, stages of uh, getting into that from the moment of death until we get into that there are nine stages listed here in this book in the Mahasatipatthana Sutta. When you meditate, <coughs> uh, you slowly, gradually see how you come to that level. In order to remind us that, that skeleton is this a very good educational meditation object. When children come, they count the bones go and play. When some adults don't want to get close to they run away from it. They are scared. So adults are more uh, foolish than children. Children have no fear. They go and touch and say, this is a beautiful thing. So I think that's all exactly six o'clock one hour and uh, thank you very much for writing uh, legible hand
this question and hope you continue your meditation.